In the late 1800s, there was a pastor named Charles Spurgeon in London. And uh, God was doing some powerful things in the church there, Metropolitan Tabernacle, and so people would come from other places just to see what God was doing. And, and one day, uh, five guys uh, that were in seminary decided to go and, and see if they could be uh, part of a service. So they got there early, and so a gray-bearded guy uh, met them uh, inside the church building and said, hey, uh, can I give you a tour? Can I answer questions? And so they walked into this worship center that held thousands of people. It was one of the largest uh, gathering places in London at that time, and it was a church building. And uh, they, they saw that. They went up in the pulpit, stood behind the pulpit, just kind of tried to imagine what God was doing. And uh, when they got done with all that, uh, the custodian guy, they thought, said, uh, hey, would you like to see where the heat comes from for our church? They said, excuse me? I mean, in the 1800s, you know, again, they burned coal and stuff like that, so they thought, how exciting would that be? He said, well, I'd love to show you where the heat comes from. What happens in here is heated downstairs. And so they went down these steps down a long hallway, and uh, he opened the door, and there were hundreds of people on their knees praying. And they understood this is where the heat comes from. I've never forgotten that picture. As a pastor, I've dreamed of us being a church that prays, whether we're near a building, in the building, far from a building, that we would be a church that prays together. And that's the message today as we continue our series called Living Church is praying together. And you know, that church in London understood what they were about because they had studied what we're going to be studying today and what we have been studying. If you haven't been with us, look at Acts 2.42 here on the screen. You'll see this. We studied this a couple weeks ago, again last Sunday, and then some more today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing together, to the breaking of bread, and what's the last one, friends? Prayer. They devoted themselves. That means they gave themselves to this continually. And the word prayer there doesn't mean to private prayer. It means to literally the prayers. In other words, they gave themselves to the prayers that the church would pray together when they gathered. And so they, they, they found themselves learning this. Now think about this. We learned that these people that are included in this number, 3,000 of those were baby Christians. They had just become followers of Christ at Pentecost, and so they're baptized, and now they're learning how to give themselves to certain practices. And how do they do that? I mean, prayer's intimidating to so many of us, even inside the church. What helped them? And I, I don't know about you, but when you think about the phrase praying together, does it strike fear in your heart? Does it make you go, oh, that's for Navy SEALs Christians? That's like for professionals. That's like for weird people, actually. But the truth is, is that these are just ordinary people that were giving themselves to praying together. So I was thinking to myself, how, do, how can I make this make more sense? And I was thinking about this process. You know, if we know that the Lord wants us to pray together, maybe, you know, I know you just long for my artwork, so I, I thought I would just do it again here. Because this is a picture in my mind, and maybe it'll help some of you. This idea, this vision that God has for us, 
of praying together. If we have it over here on the right, we see that this is the goal that he has for all of us who name the name of Christ, whether we're a baby Christian or we've been a Christian for a long time. So let's just draw two stick figures over here on the left, and those will represent you and me. Again, I, I know you're not used to this kind of professional drawing. But if that represents us here at Cherry Hills, you and me, we're just ordinary people. I mean, like, could we actually, could this become true of us? Is it already true of us? Can we learn more about this? Yes, but there's, there's an elephant in the room. I think you'll all be able to appreciate what I'm about to do. I'm going to write a word that, if you can't see it very well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the word awkward. Okay? Here's the truth. Uh, in order for us to move from here to here, we're going to have to go through awkward. There's no other way. And uh, these people had to learn how to move through awkward. And uh, what helped them do that? The Holy Spirit of God helped them. He gave them a hunger to live out this vision. He gave them a humility, a teachable spirit, a willingness to fail, and not being as concerned about how they looked or impressing people as much and they moved through awkward. Let me give you just a couple of illustrations. Uh, when I was in high school, I got my driver's license, and in order to use the family car, I eventually was able to buy my own, but in order to use the family car at first, um, my dad said that I could use it. The only problem is it had a stick shift. Now, it was an automatic transmission, so that, that has challenges of its own just to learn how to drive that, but a stick shift, well, now you've got to learn how to use your left foot, your right foot, your right hand, your left hand, and all these other things all at once. Use the clutch and all that, and I remember he took me out, and you want to talk about awkward. i like, what? You know, I mean, there's just, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, of course. There wasn't any of that. It was really awkward. You would have loved it. Wish I had a video. But my dad helped me understand, look, everybody has to go through awkward to drive this car. What, what made me stick with it? I wanted to learn how to drive the car. I wanted to be able to do that, and I knew I had to go through awkward. Uh, this last week, uh, because of technology nowadays, we, Trish and I got a video of our granddaughter. And some of you know, here comes a grandchild story. But some of you know, seven months ago, uh, she changed our lives, added a whole new dimension to our lives. And what happened is, is that for the last month or two, we've been getting videos of her sitting and kind of almost crawling. And this week, she did it. And uh, I remember thinking it, it wasn't really professional crawling. It wasn't really, wow, that's crawling. Okay? But it was crawling. And in a few months, Lord willing, she's going to learn how to walk. You know how this goes. <laughs> you got to go through awkward. Now, none of us are going, come on! None of us are doing that. We're going, that's great. That's beautiful. I love it when you walk like that. I love it when you crawl like that. And the Lord says, I love it when you pray with my other kids. I love it 
when you call on me. I love when you pray. So today, I want to just talk to you about some of the things that have kind of helped me move through awkward, real basic building blocks of prayer and praying together. And my prayer is, is that you'll walk out of here saying, I can do this. I'm going to probably have to be a little less willing to look foolish. You know, in the United States, we place a lot of, place a premium. I'm not looking stupid. We'll do almost anything not to look stupid. And you know the problem with that? Is that fear and that pride holds us from experiencing so much in life. But how many of us know that with the Lord's help, if we will begin to try and move in a certain direction, oh man, walking's way better than sitting. If you're able to, as a little baby, right? And if you're able to do those things, crawling, all that. So the idea here is what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn how to pray together today. And I want to just ask if you would uh, pray with me. But before we do that, I need to ask you to open your Bibles, okay? Because in this Living Church series, you see that we've got pictures of, of people inside and outside our church. You can see this graphic up here. We want to be a living church, but we need to ask the Lord to help us grow in this practice, okay? In fact, I just realized I didn't even talk to you about the first two lines in the notes either. So outside of that, we're off to a great start. <laughs> Here's what I hope you'll see if you're following along, and then I'll ask you to open your Bibles, okay? Sorry for the order. If you're following along in the notes, what I hope you'll see is that only under his Holy Spirit's influence will we pray together. Somebody said, you know, I mean, do I feel pressure right now to convince you to pray together? No. Because I know that the Lord's already working in your heart. He'll show you this. He'll give you a hunger. I just want to be helpful. And so only the Holy Spirit's influence, friends, can make us the church we're supposed to be. That's what... the. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus. The Bible says his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, now lives inside of us who are believers. But the second thing is, is why do we want to pray together? Why is that vision compelling? Here's why. Oh, God grows our relationship with him and each other as we do. Here's the interesting thing about praying together. God grows our relationship with him as we pray together. Friends, I've prayed by myself many times before, but I can tell you my relationship's gone to a totally different place as I've learned to humbly pray with and for other people. It's just changed me. But not only that, he's deepened my relationship with him, and he's deepened my relationship with other people in this church as we've prayed together. And the truth is, I've learned more about praying by praying with other people and praying together with other people than I would have ever learned just by myself. And so this is, God wants to grow our relationship. So let's just pray that he'll help us move through awkward, okay? God, there are some people here today, and they're not even sure if they believe in you. They're not even sure if you exist. I'm so glad they're here. Would you please give them something today that would help them know that you do exist and you care about them, and you want them to be able to live out a different vision for their life? You have good plans for them. Lord, I want to pray for those that are here that are brand new Christians, baby Christians, I pray, Lord, that you might help them grow in their relationship through us being part of a church together. And for those of us that have walked with you a little bit longer, please help us to stay humble and hungry for you and never think we've learned it all. Now, Lord, I pray that this message can truly be helpful to your people, that we might not only learn to pray together, but that we might pray together and see what you do when we do. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, now I'll ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. 
and uh, Acts chapter 4. If you're using one of the black Bibles there in front of you, I'd love it if you pull out a Bible. We'll look at this in just a few moments. But uh, it's on page 760 of the black Bible. And thanks for those of you that brought your Bibles, and uh, again, for uh, being willing to follow along when we're making our way through God's Word. As Steve taught last week, we want to be people that really do believe that this is what can guide and change our lives. So here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I don't know if you're part of a life group. At Cherry Hills, we say we want to love the Lord by making Sunday mornings top priority in our schedule each week because as Sundays go, so our week goes. If we learn to gather corporately with other Christians, the heat of all this, it can help shape the way we do the rest of our life. We can love the Lord individually even more effectively. But we want to love one another by being part of a smaller group, by being part of a life group or being some part of a, a smaller group. If you're not part of that, I just plead with you. That'll help you go from shallow to mature in some very practical ways. So here's what happened. is Last week, Pastor Steve wrote a question uh, at the beginning of the life group questions that many of you might have discussed in your life groups, and it was this. What, if any, sermons have affected you that you still remember or that really helped you in some way? And again, I don't know what ones came to your mind, but I remember in 1995, I heard a message that still is rippling today, and it has to do with this message. And I heard Jim Simbla teach on prayer. But he did it in such a basic building block way and showed me something that I had never really understood or seen before, that as I did it, I felt a lot like my granddaughter. I was able to start walking better in prayer, and it helped me. So here's, here's what it was. If uh, you're following along, let's look at Genesis 4.26 there. He read this verse in that first gray box, and uh, again, we'll read it out loud, and then I'll talk about what it means. Let's read it. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. At a certain time, on a certain day, early in here we read in the book of Genesis, people, by some revelation or by some intuition, began to understand that if they would call on the Creator God, He would hear them and He would answer. In those days, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now this happened, chapter 4 tells us that in chapter 4 earlier, Cain had killed his brother Abel. Adam and Eve had had a couple sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. Even though God was trying to appeal to him not to, he was independent-spirited, he was self-willed, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so the seed and the line of Cain was beginning to dominate on the earth. And so in those days, God, through the line of Seth, son Enosh, raised up a group of people that began to call on the name of the Lord. And before there was ever a Jewish person or a Christian person, the people that were God's people were always known as those people that call on the Lord. This is a powerful thing. You can see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a thread through Scripture. So if you're following along in the notes, notice that a defining mark of God's people is they call on the Lord. They call on the Lord. Look at Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13, if you would, please. It says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so people began from their heart just to begin to call. It wasn't fancy stuff. They just began to call on the Lord. 
When it says the name of the Lord, it means on his character, on his authority, on his power. They just began to call on him. And as they did that, it began to shape even what we're doing here today. The second thing I want you to see in the notes if you're following along is, what does the word call mean? And it really developed three different ways. So let me just say it this way. To call means to cry out, to praise, to tell one another. Let me explain. First, the word meant to, it meant a cry. That's so basic, isn't it? Friends, if, if my kids, if I heard them cry out, they had my full attention when I was younger and they were younger, and now they live away from me, but I'm saying is, when that happened, oh my goodness, to cry out, it meant to, it meant to call from the heart, it meant to invite, to entreat, to beseech, to beg, to plead, to acknowledge, it meant to call. But then, what happened is, is that when God would answer, the second meaning is that it means to praise, to extol, to exalt, to honor, to celebrate, what would happen is God would answer their prayers and people would say, praise you, Lord. Thank you for being a God who is concerned about my situation. And then when God would work in their lives, no matter how messed up or what kind of trouble they were in, and they called on God and God would help them, then they would tell other people, they would say, did you know that there's a creator God who made you that's not disinterested or disconnected from you, but that if you begin to cry out to him, no matter what your situation is, you begin to call out to him sincerely and from your heart. He will listen to you. He will answer that cry. He cares about you. And when they began to understand this, wow, people began to understand calling the Lord. I love Psalm 50, verse 15. If you look up here, it's a powerful thing. It says, have, oh, that's, that's not it. So we'll, uh, uh, that's actually, you know what, though? I want to talk about that. The opposite of the people of the Lord, this is Psalm 14, 4, the opposite of people who call on the Lord are evildoers. You know what one of the marks of evildoers is? Workers of iniquity have no knowledge who eat up my people and do not call on the Lord. People that are evil will not call on God. And so this powerful difference in the marking there. But again, Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and you will honor me. That's the idea. Call, honor, and you will honor me, and then you'll be able to tell other people, there's a God that answers when you call. Third thing I hope you'll see is that this line continued all the way in the Old Testament, all the way through the New, and it began with Abraham, uh, Moses, David, Elijah, I could talk about Hannah, Esther, I could talk about Samuel, I could talk about Jonah in the whale, you can talk about all kinds of people, but all the way through to the book of Revelation, this calling on God, powerful thing, David was probably the one that raised this to the highest place where he just said, I will call to you and you will answer when I call, that's the kind of God you are, thank you for being a God who listens when I cry to you. I called you in the day of trouble and you answered me. Talked about these things. But notice, if you're following along also, that the church began in prayer and is powered by prayer. When you get to the New Testament, if you look over in chapter 1, you'd see in verse 14 that it says that in those days, men and women gathered in an upper room, about 120 people, 
And as they were meeting in a prayer meeting, as we come into chapter 2, that's when all of a sudden God enabled them to proclaim the wonders of God in languages that other people in that city who didn't yet know him were able to hear. And it drew them together, and they told about Jesus, and that's how the church began. The church began in a prayer meeting of people calling on God. How else would it begin? This is such a defining mark of God's people, but it's also a defining mark of a living church in God's people today. And friends, you know as well as I do, you can walk into churches and they are cold because they are prayerless. People have stopped calling on the name of the Lord together. People have stopped praying together. And that's why, if you've never seen this before, that's why Satan's whole strategy with us, if you're following along, is get clever, work it out, work at it, you know, plan a lot, but don't call. Whatever you do, don't call. Now, Jim Simbola talked about this. Here's what he says. Satan's main strategy with God's people has always been to whisper. <coughs> don't call. Don't ask. Don't depend on God to do great things. You'll get along fine if you rely on your own cleverness and energy. The truth of the matter is the devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts and credentials. But he knows his kingdom is in trouble when we lift up our hearts to God. And when you and I begin to call in the name of the Lord, whew, all kinds of things. And God says, look, call to me, and I will show you things, great and mighty things, that haven't even gotten into your head. I will show you things that you can't even imagine or ask if you'll begin to call on me and keep calling on me and practicing this, praying together, because this is how I grow my relationship with you. This is how I grow my relationship with you and each other, praying together. Now, as you're thinking about this, I know you're probably wondering, okay, how does this work? Because, like, I'm so self-conscious. I don't, I don't know if I could pray long sentences in perfect ways. But this boils it down. This is why I wanted to share this with you. At its most basic level, even a child can do this. God made this in such a way that you and I, if we were willing, we can call on God. And a lot of times it just boils down to short sentences. How many of you have, have wanted to write an email or a letter to someone and you didn't do it because you thought it had to be a long one? Anybody relate to that? Or you, you thought you had to say everything and you had to say it perfectly. And so then you didn't write anything. Anybody relate to that? I've had that so many times. And so a guy set me free years ago, he says, why don't you just write one or two sentences to somebody? Make it a one or two sentence masterpiece. Stop trying to write. And you know what? I noticed that if I would just be willing to agree to one or two sentences, sometimes more would come. Sometimes more wouldn't. But I didn't set my expectation that way. I want to say the same thing about prayer. The people I know that pray like this with other people, they don't say long, drawn-out things as much as lots of short phrases. When I was... Um, uh, out of college, before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor. My dad moved down here. Trisha and I had just gotten married, and I was going through a time because I didn't know what I was going to do professionally. I was just blue. Uh, it wasn't Trisha's fault. I was very glad to be married to her. But my dad said, Jeff, uh, I'm down here. Mom's still back up there waiting for a house to sell here in Springfield. You're up in Elgin. Why don't you drive down since you got a couple days off, and let's just spend time together. So we had to do some work, but we had time together both at his house and, and uh, at the place he was living and, and here at the office in Springfield. And he, he would just pray. He would just say, Jeff, let's pray together. 
And I remember, you know, my dad, here he is, seminary trained, all this kind of stuff, but that didn't mean anything to him. When he bowed his head, he was just like, oh, Lord, you know where Jeff's at right now. He's in a dark place. We need you. We want you. We hunger for what you can do. We're asking you to please do something in a situation. We love you. We want to trust you. Help us. All these short phrases. And I remember thinking to myself, I could do that. See, if I was trying to do all these long sentences, I wouldn't do anything. But if I knew that it was more a cry from my heart, God, help us. You think about the, the time that Jesus told a parable about this religious guy that says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. I fast twice a week, tithe everything I get and stuff like that. Jesus said there was another guy in the same church service that couldn't even look up towards heaven. And he just said, have mercy on me, God. A sinner. He says, I tell you the truth, that day at the end of the service, the second guy went home justified before God, not the first. Why? He was calling out to God from his heart. And when you and I begin to do that as a church family, both when we're together corporately and when we're separated, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, I want to ask you to look at Acts 4.23 with me. Let me walk through this and make just a few observations. I don't know if you've studied Acts before, but one time I, I went through all the book of Acts several different ways, and one of them was just to see all the times they prayed. What did they do? What did they say? What can I learn? What were they learning about prayer? Here's one example. So verse 23... Here's the background. Peter and John have been telling people in the city of Jerusalem about Jesus, and the religious Jewish leaders don't like it. So they say, because they have the authority and the power to arrest people, they say, shut up. Don't do that anymore. We're sick of it. We hate it, and we've got the power. We'll arrest you, we'll beat you, and we'll kill you if we have to. Hmm. Now the church has got a decision to make, don't they? Remember Steve taught us last week. We're called to share this message with every person that they might have a chance to believe in Jesus Christ too. So they come back, look at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now read verse 24 with me in that second gray box so we can all read off the same translation. Would you read it with me out loud? When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. If you're following along in the notes, here's the first observation that I see with this. They cry out together and start with who God is. That's how they pray. They cry out together. So if you could picture this, a whole bunch of people, I can imagine a room just saying, oh God, help us, please help us, okay? Now this prayer that they recorded is just part of the, probably the larger prayer they prayed, but notice how they start. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. So they start with who he is. They say, you are the one we're talking to. And then, notice what they also say. You also know everything that's going on in this city. 
You know what we're up against. You know what the climate's been like in this city. You knew it. And actually, your word has actually said we could expect it. So they, they do that. And sometimes when you're reading your Bible verse, sometimes you may just, in your Bible morning reading or the time you read the Bible a day, you may just want to say, God, this Bible verse right here really, really says it for me right now, and I just want to pray it back to you, but I'm calling out to you, God. So they do that. Now notice verse 29, what they do. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If you're following along, notice what they do next. They ask for help to obey, not get their own way. They ask for help to obey, not get their own way. They basically say, you've asked us to keep sharing this message. If we're going to do that, we are going to be running against the stream. We've been threatened already. So, again, we're going to obey you instead of these leaders, but we know that it's going to be probably some trouble, so help us to obey you. You know how I thought this verse should read? I thought they would pray like this. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and please keep us safe. Now, it's not wrong to ask for God's protection. There are prayers for protection in the Bible a lot. But notice what their heart was. More than keeping us safe, help us to obey. Help us to push through awkward. Help us to push through protecting ourselves as much. And help us to become people that are being shaped by you. You know, the disciples once came to Jesus one day and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We've been watching. And the way you pray from the heart is different than our religious leaders taught us to pray by rote and all this meaningless prayer stuff and all these fancy sentences. Teach us how to pray. So Jesus taught them what we often call the Lord's Prayer, but it's really probably the disciples' prayer. Look at Matthew 6 up here on the screen, if you would. I just want you to notice something. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, let your name be reverenced here on the earth. May it be respected in my life. May it be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on and talks about, please give us our daily bread. Please forgive us. Please, Lord, do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. So these honest, all these little short phrases, do you see them? But notice how he starts. It starts by calling out to God, and it says, Our Father. You notice that? Have you ever heard that? I read this years ago. I've never forgotten it. It is such a powerful little, little poem. Here's what it says. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For to ask for our daily bread, you include your sister and brother. All God's children are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. Does not once, it does not once, say me. It's interesting, isn't it? Our Father in heaven, help me to remember God, I'm praying with other people, and other people matter to you too. Our Father in heaven, I'm going to start with who you are, and I'm going to start with your name being important in my life, and then I'm going to talk to you about my problems, I'm going to talk to you about the things I'm scared about, I'm going to talk to you about my concerns, because you care, you'll answer, you're listening, but I'm going to start with who you are, and then notice this next part, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You want to pray in the right spirit. You want to connect heart to heart. That's the spirit it's got to be. And maybe that's why some of us avoid prayer. Listen to E. Stanley Jones. Prayer is surrender. 
surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. So they were learning how to pray together and they were saying, okay, God, help us, help us invite your kingdom to come in this city. Help us to want to do your will because as we do that, we'll be a living church and we'll be praying in the spirit you're teaching us. Well, notice the third observation in verse 31. I'll read it. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. If you're following along, notice that God hears and answers at times to their surprise. At times to their surprise. Does God always shake the place that people are in when his people pray? No. But sometimes he does more than they even could imagine or ask. Other times, they just know that they did what he asked them to do. But one thing's for sure. When they left this prayer time, they didn't just go, well, we prayed. Boy, I sure hope that power comes to speak the word boldly. No. When the power also came, they were already ready to go out and do it. And they knew that God would meet them with power because they had called on his name. Prayer is not just passive. We still need to obey and do the things God asks. But friends, sometimes we try and do all this stuff for God without praying. And he wants us to call on his name and he can do more. I list out to the right Acts 12. It's another kind of funny story in the New Testament. The church, it's not so funny what happens. The church has a couple of its leaders get arrested. This time, James is one of the guys whose brother, James and John, the sons of thunder. And the Bible says is that this leader beheads James. That's serious business, man. Following Jesus is no walk in the park all the time, is it? But So the church probably was going, wow, we've been praying together and we just had one of our people killed. God says, yeah, that may happen sometimes. When you... When you invite me to be God, I may do things that may mystify you at times. Keep calling on me. Don't stop calling on me. So that Bible says that Peter gets arrested next. And as Peter's in prison, the Bible says in verse 5 that the church of God was praying earnestly for him. They were gathering together and they were praying, oh God, help him. Please set him free. Please, God, would you please work in Peter's life so that he's a witness for you in prison or not. Whether he dies or whether he lives, please help him glorify you. And they were praying for him like crazy. Well, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and helps move Peter out of the chains past four squadrons of soldiers, different points. Now he's out in the street. He's going, whoo! And he realizes it's not a dream, so he decides to go to the house where he knows the church is gathering. He gets there and he knocks on the outer door and a servant girl named Rhoda comes and when she hears Peter's voice, she gets so excited she doesn't even open the door. She runs back and tells the church. Now you expect the church to go, why, of course, we've been praying for Peter. Send him in. They go, you're out of your mind. How many of us can relate to that? When we pray, do we understand everything about prayer? No. But he can help us. He can help us. And so here's what I hope you'll see. Here's how we bring it home. How do we follow in their footsteps? Can I just tell you that praying together really just has two different pieces to it. Praying together means to pray for other people and with other people. For other people and with other people. If we're going to be a church that prays together, it's going to mean that we're going to pray for each other and we're going to pray more with each other. Okay? So here we go. Here's the first one. Lord, I will call on you for other believers. 
I will call on you for other believers. Sometimes after I learned that calling was all God wanted me to do and he wants me to learn how to pray together, I started, whenever I'd be on the phone with different people, I started realizing that there's so much power in a simple prayer for someone that sometimes on the phone, maybe I've done this with you. Some of you have done it with me. Hey, before we get off the phone, would it be okay if we just pray together? Sometimes both of us pray. Most of the time, I just pray, but we've done that. And I've had people do that for me. Sometimes I've watched after services are over or before services, here in this room or out in the hallway, people will just gather. And I watch people just bow and they'll just go, God, we don't know what to do, but help. Help my friend right now. Something so powerful about that. A few years ago, I was coming home from a conference. I'd been gone for three days, and the next day I had to preach three times. And a guy in our church, one of the shyest, most bashful people in our church, shocked me. And he goes, Jeff, those of us that are here at this conference with you here in the van, can we just, before we drive home, just pray? And he put his hand on my shoulder and said, would you help Jeff preach tomorrow? I don't remember everything he said. I'll never forget what he did. Second thing is, Lord, I will call on you with other believers. I will call on you with other believers. Let me just get real simple in the, in the illustration. This. this means that if you are married and you have a spouse who's a believer and you're a believer, praying together looks like you praying together. At meals, I'm not talking about long, drawn-out prayers, friends. I'm talking about short prayers from the heart. If you have children praying for your children, praying with your children, teaching your children how to pray. If you don't have a spouse like that, finding someone else that you could pray with. Uh, that, again, I'm not talking about inappropriate relationships here. I'm talking about a friend, trusted friend, of the same sex that you can pray with, that kind of thing. Praying for and with. We have people in life groups. You know, we ask people in life groups to pray together. And we're trying to do that in our services for 18 years now at Cherry Hills. I have prayed with a small group of people every Saturday morning for our church. And the longer that I do it, the more I keep practicing it, the more I keep learning. But you know what? I sometimes still have to go through awkward. But I want to be a church that prays together because this is where the heat for our church We, want, we thought it might be good to practice this before we go. So in just a moment, the ushers are going to come down front. And they're going to pass out slips of paper. And we want to give you an opportunity to pray for one of our prayer requests. We've been given permission for these. A few years ago, I was in a church, and they passed out cards that had been given to them. They had permission to do so. And I remember I got a little card, and it said, this was an aunt. She said, my nephew is married and he and his wife have three children and none of them yet believe in Jesus. Would you pray that they might come to meet Jesus and know Jesus? I remember I sat with that card. Ten years later, I still remember that family, even though I've never met them. I was so glad that I got the opportunity to pray. That God, and I, again, my prayer wasn't, no, God, I pray. It was, Lord, bring, draw this family to you. Show yourself to them, I pray. Help them see what they haven't seen yet. Give them a hunger for you. Short phrases. You and I can do that. And so when the ushers come down, we're going to ask you to hold on to these slips. 
I'll explain how we're going to pray for that in just a little bit. But first, there's this song. Lord, teach me to pray. And what we want to ask you to do is just hold on to that slip. Look up at the words of the screen. And you may just want to pray from your heart these words along with the people. These people are not up here performing. They're up here assisting us, calling on God. So use this time to think about that. Did everybody get one? If you'll take that slip of paper, you'll see that there's uh, a sentence or two about these people. You may never have met them before, just like I had never met that family of five. But this is an opportunity for you to pray for someone as we're gathered together. And so uh, here's what I'd recommend. I, I, I just recommend saying, God, it's, you know, you're, say your name. Mine's Jeff. God, it's Jeff. I'm learning how to move through awkward here. I want to pray for these people, not because I'm worthy, but because you are. And show me how. May your kingdom come in their situation. May you provide what they need. May you lift them up. May you encourage them. Somehow use my prayer to be part of your answer in their life. Okay? So just look at that. Look it over. We'll take a few moments to look at that. And then just pray from your hearts. Silently whisper a prayer to God. Call on heaven for these people. Okay? Go ahead. Okay, would you mind just taking that slip of paper, if you would? And kind of as a symbol of us all lifting these prayers up to God, would you mind just lifting it above your head with me? And then what I want to ask you to say, I'll say the sentence and then ask you to repeat with me. Sovereign Lord, may your kingdom come in their lives. Okay? So, sorry. Uh, let's try it together. Sovereign Lord, may your kingdom come in their lives. You can put your hands down. You may want to keep this with you. Put it in your Bible or put it in your pocket. Pray for it this week. You know what we just did is we just prayed together. It's not always this dramatic thing. Sometimes it's just the church being the church. But as we pray together like that, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. 
And we also thought that it might be good that we pray with each other in one more way. So I want to ask you if you'd stand up and we're going to look at the words of Jesus, often called the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to read them together. I know sometimes there's debts, trespasses, sins, all the different words. Let's just read this together and pray. Jesus said this. This is how you should pray. He says, let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A lot of those different phrases you may see yourself praying throughout this week. Deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Please provide my daily bread, our daily bread. So, after the service is over, there's always people down front that would be glad to pray with you. These steps are always open in case you want to come and kneel and call on the name of the Lord for someone else or yourself. He hears those prayers too. But he wants us to grow together and pray together. So I'm going to pray now over you as you go. And here's what I want to ask you to do. After this service is over today, sometime in the next 24 hours, will you pray with someone? On the phone? By text? In person? It might be a family member? It might be a friend? It's just just an invitation. It's not a law. But think about it. Let's practice praying together even when we're not near this building. Okay, now, Lord, I pray that if you've been working like I think you already have been, you knew this service would come many years ago and you knew where we'd be spiritually. And I pray for a spirit of prayer to take hold in each one of our hearts. Let the work of the Holy Spirit enable us to move through awkward, to praying together more and more. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of prayer. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you.